electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be able to make friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. You never want to be too glib about saying that the market's wrong because most of the time the market's right. The wisdom of crowds is surprisingly reliable. But some markets are more prone to bad calls than others. And this particular market seems to make them all the time. That includes days like today where the Dow dipped 37 points, has to be gained 0.69%, and the Nasdaq pole vaulted 1.56%. Let me give you a textbook case of misjudgment. Walmart. Last week, this massive retailer reported sharply higher revenue, a huge same-store sales beat, and some magnificent earnings growth. Initially, I think correctly, Walmart stock route. Then as the conference call went on, the stock just fell apart, falling five points pretty much in a straight line. It was a horrendous clubbing. Now, I have a lot of experience assessing retail, meaning I know a good quarter when I see one. This wasn't a good quarter. It was a great quarter. Walmart gave you a 14-cent earnings beat off a $1.70 basis. Management raised their full-year forecast by 26 cents at the midpoint. Inventories were down 5%, including an 8% decline in the U.S. All of that says buy, not sell. But this market's very confused. It doesn't seem to know the good from the bad. And yes, I get that they made some cautious comments at the conference call, though they spent most of the time talking about all the market share they've been taking. Walmart's got this flywheel of good e-commerce up 24%, advertising e-commerce up 35%. Holy cow, does that have great margins. The price gap between other retailers and Walmart remains big. Back to school, unbelievable so far, yet the stock sold off in what I can only call a miscarriage of market justice. It's not just Walmart. At this point, I can't understand how Apple stock keeps falling. I mean, I know it has three quarters of no growth. Uh, okay, okay. But can we stipulate that everyone who bought the stock ahead of the quarter in the 190s mostly, most likely knew that already? It was hardly a reason to sell. Sell, sell, sell. If anything, I found it encouraging because Apple had no new phone. But the service revenue was enough to keep things steady. No, keep things great. 
Now, Apple stock is down 22 points from its high. I think that's insane. Stock's been obliterated. No one's the least bit interested in it. Holy cow. Despite a new iteration of iPhone on the Rogers 8, don't forget the Vision Pro, which I think is going to be really terrific. How can the sellers be so obtuse? Of course, the analysts had a hand in this, too. They hyped the stock when it was in the 190s and burned everybody by encouraging them to bet on the quarter. That said, when the new phones comes out, I think the sellers will look back on, the, at, 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 on that, this moment and kick themselves for abandoning one of the greatest companies in history right when it bottomed. Right, let me give you another one that's just galling to me, GE Healthcare Technologies. This is the GE spinoff that makes gigantic medical equipment like MRI machines that happen to be huge profit centers for hospitals. Their equipment will be in tremendous demand next year. Why? Well, when doctors are trying to figure out who can get the new Alzheimer's drugs, they're going to have to do some studies. You'll have to get an MRI to measure the plaque in your brain before you get these new drugs. Look, they can't give them there, but they're too expensive. That's just tremendous demand for as far as the eye can see. Yet the stock's down 12 points since GE Healthcare reported. Look, I can't justify that decline. So we bought some more today for my Chapel Trust in order to average down. Yes, we did, because I believe we're right about this one. I just don't think it makes sense. I have to figure the sellers don't understand what I understand, because maybe, maybe, maybe they didn't run the American Brain Foundation gale up in Boston this spring like I did. What else? Do you remember the knockout numbers that Microsoft reported? Almost every line was beyond reproach, but nope, the stock's been hammered so hard that we bought it twice on the way down for the Chapel Trust. Yeah, you can follow it. Just join the club. Now, this is nonsense, Glidman. This isn't the usual pressure you might get when interest rates go higher. To me, it feels like incorrect pricing writ large. Microsoft delivered a fantastic set of figures, and nobody cares. Hey, you want a real crazy one? I'm going to let you in on one. How about the fact that Meta Platforms crushed the quarter, truly demolished series estimates, giving you a sense of how much money they can make on advertising purely by figuring out workarounds from Apple's privacy rules. I figure this is the first of many great quarters. But traders say it's one and done. Let's move on. I say it's time to circle back and buy some. You get the whole quarter for free. That's crazy. Now, if you really want to truly see some psychotic price action. Look no further than P-A-N-W, Palo Alto Networks, the cybersecurity firm that reported last Friday after the bell. Mikesh Aurora, the charismatic CEO, told us over and over and over and over and over again they could only put the earnings out on Friday evening because he had a big sales confab going on that weekend. But there was a widespread belief that the quarter had to be terrible because why else would they report on Friday night? Nobody ever puts out good news on Friday night, right? I mean, is that where news goes to die? But I trusted cash, which is why we stuck with Palo Alto for the trust. I told you he'd deliver another good quarter so it was safe to buy. Now, I don't, I don't talk to many hedge funds, but oh boy, I was overwhelmed with people urging me to come out here and tell you to give up on Palo Alto. So many of them spoke with such confidence, yet in reality, they knew nothing. They knew nothing! Palo Alto's stock soared 15% today because the quarter was phenomenal, but also because there were so many short sellers. You got an amazing buying opportunity because professional money managers couldn't bring themselves to trust one of the best CEOs in the business. One of the best CEOs I've ever met. Finally, there's the case of, yes, indeed, you know I had to mention NVIDIA. Here's a stock that doesn't know when to quit, especially when the analysts keep battling each other to see who has the highest price target. For me, the price target game on the stock is painful. The house of pain. These target boosts aren't based on any news. It's just the same thing over and over again. NVIDIA, the king of AI. How many times can we hear long live the king and see the stock take it up again on the same story? Beats the heck out of me. Should NVIDIA be up uh, over 36 points ahead of Wednesday's quarter as it was today? Sure, it's got to have a monster earnings breakout. But keep in mind, this company already said its revenues for this quarter would be up much more than the street thought. It can only beat those elevated projections if it gets all the graphics cards it needs from its manufacturers. Remember, they outsource the actual production. One thing's certain. 
Every point NVIDIA stock is put, put on here just makes its report on Wednesday even more problematic, even bigger in its importance. Let's hope it can smash the estimates. Otherwise, well, you might have a Walmart on your hands. You know my view on NVIDIA, own it, don't trade it. So don't freak out if the stock sells off after running up insanely into the quarter. Bottom line, oh, we got a tough market here with the S&P and NASDAQ coming up three weeks of losses. But we are very oversold as of this evening. This market's best buys come not immediately after the quarter, but when the wrong-headed sellers or buyers come in. Don't respect your vision. Respect your own. You better off sticking with your own convictions. And if you're initially wrong, like we were with Microsoft for the Travel Trust, it's okay. You just buy more into weakness for stocks of companies you believe in. Let's start with Patricia in Florida. Patricia. Hi, Mr. Kramer. This is Ms. Cheris. Listen, I've been watching you for years. I think you're amazing. Oh, um, thank I you. Have a, <laughs> I have a concentrated position in Amazon and Apple. I mean, really concentrated. And I would like to reduce my position with these two stocks and buy Adobe. And oh, I, I like Adobe. I like Adobe. You know, John Warnock, who just passed away, uh, really uh, the co-founder of Adobe. But uh, Shantan and Ryan doing an amazing job. I think you should not take profits at Adobe. I think you should let Adobe ride. They have got some, this a tremendous, tremendous AI product. Let's hold on to that. Thank you for your kind comments. Can we go to Andrew in Alabama? Andrew. Jim. Andrew. First, I got to say, amazing tomatoes, Jim. Amazing. I want to yes. have an insight on KMI, Kinder yes. Morgan. Buy Sarah Hold. I think that's a ripe sweet tomato. I don't mind it at all. I take it on a, maybe a turkey sandwich with a, a mustard and lettuce, maybe some rye. It's good, KMI. It's not great. Uh, Enterprise Product Partners is better, and I do prefer ET. Okay, ET buy home. All right. All right. This market's best buys come not immediately at the quarter, but when the wrong-headed sellers or buyers come in. Don't respect their vision. Respect your own. Man, money tonight. It's been a tough August. With just about 85% of the S&P 500 negative territory for this stupid month, is it time to start picking among the rubble? I'm sharing where I'm looking for opportunity in this tape. Then start with value acquired a stake in Blumen Brands, the company behind Outback Steakhouse. So is this the catalyst the restaurant chain needs to break out? I'm thinking of the latest. And last week, all, last, all eyes were on Palo Alto Network's Summer Friday earnings report. And with the stock surging today, I'm looking past the drama of the Friday report, taking a closer look with the real deal, the numbers with the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. 
With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. I warned you that August could be ugly. And sure enough, the S&P 500 and NASDAQ have been down for three straight weeks. At the beginning of the month, we brought on the legendary market historian Larry Williams as part of Chart Week. And he urged patience, remember letter P? Because his near-term outlook was pretty negative. He figured you'd get better buying opportunities if you waited. Unfortunately, I think we could have more pain in store for us before the selling ends, especially with Jay Powell's speech in Jackson Hole coming in Friday. Last year, that killed us. Given how strong the economy's been lately, oh my God, I wouldn't be surprised if Powell lowers the boom on us again to truly smash inflation. But you know what? We've had a pretty harsh decline here. The market's very oversold. Funny thing about stocks, they do get cheaper as they go down. That's why all week I want to highlight my favorite names that have come in the most in August, searching for buying opportunities. Now, there are 82 names in the SP 500 that are down more than 10% the month. We searched that list of potential buying opportunities, and I'll be telling you the results for the rest of the week. Tonight, I want to start with Etsy, Johnson Controls, On Semiconductor, Wynn Resorts, and Ventas. Etsy is the third worst performer in the S&P this month so far, down nearly 28%. The online platform for handcrafted items has been obliterated. But I feel comfortable sticking my neck out here because we just spoke to the CEO on August 3rd and got the sense that Etsy's business is doing just fine, thank you. The problem here is that the stock's in an uncomfortable place, not growing fast enough to be a growth stock, not cheap enough to be a value stock. That is a common dilemma. Why do I like it then? Because Etsy did something surprising. Even as the pandemic receded, they retained their active buyers and sellers. In fact, active buyers hit a new record this quarter. Their gross merchandise sales were positive in May, June, and July. Most importantly, when all is said and done, I think Etsy will be one of the top e-commerce platform survivors remaining. One that can grow steadily and profitably into the future. Plus, after the recent sell-off, the stock's trading less than 27 times earnings. Now, look, that's not unreasonable given the fact that Etsy's expected to grow earnings at a 15% clip next year. That's fast. I'm cautiously optimistic on this one going to the holidays, too. All the more reason to buy it into weakness. Just remember to buy gradually on the way down because all these August losers could go lower before they go higher. Next up, many industrials have sold off hard this month, including Johnson Controls, which makes building products, including HVAC equipment and safety gear. Now, this stock's down 15% for August. Wow. Now, some of that's because the sickles went, sickles went out of style this month. But a lot of it's because Wall Street didn't love the results when Johnson Controls reported back on August 2nd. That quarter wasn't perfect, but it certainly wasn't horrible. Johnson Controls missed revenue expectations slightly, 9% organic growth. 
The street was over 9.9%. Big deal. And they only matched the earnings expectations. They didn't blow them away. Meanwhile, management's guidance for the next quarter was a bit light. They also cut their full-year organic sales forecasts ever so slightly. There. Now you got all the bad news. Does that justify 16% pullback in Johnson Control stocks since the quarter? I see a company is participating in the construction boom that's coming with the rise of reshoring. They're going to win on that. Whose earnings are expected to grow from $3 per share last year to $3.55 per share this year and to $4 next year? What more could you want? Stock now trades at less than 15 times extra's number. Bargain. I think Johnson Controls looks pretty juicy at these levels. No, it isn't doing as well as carrier train tech. But that doesn't justify this kind of weakness. It reminds me of the stocks I highlighted at the top of the show. Oh, then there's one old favorite of the show, On Semiconductor. This is a terrific company. It's been hit hard. The stock's down 14%. <laughs> Wait a second. I mean, Wall Street doesn't like that this company sells tons of chips to the auto and industrial end markets. I think the solve here, though, is absurd. Put it simply, on semiconductor reported a magnificent quarter at the end of July. I loved it. Clean top and bottom line beat, with management giving us tremendous guidance for the next quarter. But they sell to the automakers, and everyone's terrified of a possible strike by the UAW. Remember, September 14th, the drop dead there, hence the sell-off. I think this one's worth the risk, though. What else? Well, many of the gambling stocks that made our August losers list uh, include Win Resorts. Now, this is a stock we own for the Chapel Trust. It's down almost 14 uh, percent north to, to date. I mean, this is unbelievable. As best as I can tell, the negativity here is related to concerns about China, which are not illegitimate, given that Wynn has two large casinos in Macau. In normal times, they make up the bulk of the business. However, you've got to remember, Macau had almost no activity last year thanks to China's draconian COVID policy. Case in point, in July, Macau gaming revenue was up uh, more than 4,000% year over year. And just about a week ago, we learned that Macau had the most daily visitors since the, the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. So maybe the economic woes in the mainland of China will hurt wins Macau business. But honestly, how much worse could it get after multiple years of pandemic lockdowns? So far, the numbers show that Macau's bouncing back. Don't forget, China has the same long on money, short on time zeitgeist as everyone else. If anything, they might be even more eager to travel because their government's restrictions were so much more onerous than everybody else's. Rather than try to get ahead of something that may or may not happen halfway across the world, I prefer to focus on actual information like the second quarter results that Wynn reported a week and a half ago. The numbers were just plain out excellent, okay, with a comfortable uh, revenue beat and, by the way, a huge earnings beat. They made 91 cents per share when Wall Street was only looking for 64 cents. Every Wynn property, the two in Macau, plus Wynn Las Vegas, Wynn Encore in Boston, they beat expectations, and most did so by a wide margin. Now, you've got to have some faith here that the Macau part of the story won't totally unravel. But with the stock down so much and the fact that you're now getting that last quarter for free, I think it's a great entry position. Finally, the real estate investment trusts have been obliterated this month. Thanks to the rising interest rates, I like Ventas, which is mainly focused on senior living facilities. Remember Deb Kafaro? She's come on a lot, along with medical offices, outpatient facilities, and research properties. I know higher rates will weigh on this dividend stock like they always do. But I think the long-term opportunities here are immense because the demographics are on Ventas' side as members of my generation get sent to senior living facilities over the next decade or two. Ventas' latest quarter was basically in line, but the stock's been hammered anyway, to the point where it now gives you a 4.3% yield. 4.3 is okay. I think you use this bout of weakness to buy it gradually on the way down. 
you can afford to be patient here because they're paying you to wait. So bottom line, we've been cautious. We've been right. We've been patient. That's been right. Been right. But sometimes things get out of control on the downside. And I think when you take a look at Etsy, Johnson Controls, On Semiconductor, Wind Resorts, and Ventos, some of these are very good companies, and they've been crushed. Stay tuned for the rest of the week. You want more of these beaten down ideas of August. Ned Money is back after the break. Coming up, with a suite of sit-down casual favorites, is this stock ready to bloom? Start stacking those onions. Mad Money will be right back. Here's a question. Have you ever been prescribed a medication? Most likely, yes. Well, what about this question? Did you understand how it worked? The way your medication works in your body shouldn't be a mystery. Learn how Vivgart, Fgartigamod Alpha FCAB works by visiting vivgart.com slash MOA. That's V-Y-V-G-A-R-T dot com slash M-O-A. Brought to you by Argenics. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is Constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Last week, the Wall Street Journal reported that Starboard Value, an incredibly successful activist hedge fund, has taken a 9.9% stake in Bloomin' Brands, the parent company of Outback Steakhouse, along with a few smaller chains, uh, Carabas Italian Grill, Bonefish Grill, and Fleming's Prime Steakhouse and Wine Bar. Hey, that got me intrigued. Bloomin' Brands was already up 27% for the year before the news broke. Uh, But it jumped another 9% in response to last Friday's news. Like many other restaurant changes, benefiting from the consumer's long on money, short on time mentality. Yes, that is my own term. I do like it. I use it a lot. And Starboard's involvement is always exciting. Last fall, they announced activist stakes in three tech companies, Wix.com, Salesforce.com, and Splunk. They came in right near the bottom, disclosing these investments 10 or 11 months ago. Since then, Wix is up about 19%. Splunk is gaining 40%. Salesforce is rallying 42%. More important, Starboard has a tremendous track record with restaurant chains. They made their name nearly a decade ago with a campaign targeting Darden. That's the parent company of Olive Garden. They spearheaded a turnaround at Papa John's, too. If you're trying to piggyback on their activist campaigns, you may not like a bandit. I wouldn't be surprised if Boomin Brands plays out the same way. So let me walk you through what Starboard's done in the past, because I need you to understand why I trust their judgment here. But let's start with the Darden campaign. After Starboard announced the stake at the end of 2013, they quickly dialed up the pressure on Darden's management, launching a proxy contest a few months later. This is because the company is trying to sell off Red Lobster without seeking shareholder approval. 
Now, the starboard team produced a 294-page turnaround plan in September of 2014, which addressed everything from the executive use of corporate jets and limousines to restaurant operations, including the quality of Olive Garden's breadsticks and the fact that it wasn't salting the water before cooking its pasta. Heresy for Italian restaurants. They know nothing! Their case was so convincing that they successfully voted out Darden's entire board of directors a month later. Starboard CEO Jeff Smith became the chairman of Darden, and he got to bring in a new CEO, too, who was darn good. And you know what? In the nine years since then, Darden's been a tremendous stock. The stock's up nearly 240% since Starboard stepped in to turn things around. Now, if you reinvest in Darden's dividend, which has always been hefty, you have a total return closer to 354% over the same period. That's nearly double what you would have gotten from the S&P 500. Starboard mostly cashed out in 2016 when Smith uh, stepped down as chairman. But even if you got out then, you would have had a 60% return versus 19% for the S&P 500. Anyway, you slice it, this was a home run. How about Papa John's turnaround? Oh, get this. In February 2019, Starboard and Nelson had taken a big stake here at a time when Papa John's had taken a series of dramatic hits to its reputation. The previous summer, the founder and former chairman had been forced out. There was a video of him saying a word you just can't say. So Papa John's was struggling, and they started looking for money. Starboard was willing to kick in $200 million, a very different situation from Darden, because here they were welcomed with open arms. Jeff Smith quickly became the new chairman. A few months later, he brought in a new CEO, the excellent Rob Lynch, been on the show. And since then, Papa John's been through a miraculous turnaround, frankly. They improved their technology, revamped their menu, embraced third-party delivery platforms, and then they brought in Shaquille O'Neal as a board member and the new face of the brand. By the way, Shaq's not just one of the greatest centers of all time. He happens to be a terrific business person. He's a really smart guy. Now, even when you consider that Papa John's got a huge boost for the pandemic, Starburst's results have been remarkable. The stock was at $38 before they disclosed their investment and only surged to an all-time high of 140 in late 2021. Since then, it's pulled back to the mid-70s thanks to the post-pandemic sell-off, but it's still roughly double where it was trading when Starboard stepped in during a period where the S&P is up just 63%. And that's why this blooming brand story screamed higher on Friday when we learned about Starboard's involvement. I think there's a case to be made that an activist investor might be useful here. Stocks only up about 19% over the past 10 years, which is pitiful compared to the 168% of the S&P gain. 168% versus that? Holy cow. Basically, Bloomin was taken public by its former private equity owners in 2012. It had a nice run out of the gate, and then it's pretty much stalled out entirely. Plus, the stock trades at a considerable discount to similar chains. Boomin sells for 9.4 times this year's earnings estimates. That's slightly cheaper than, than Brinker, the parent of Chili's, and, and much cheaper than Crocker Brown, Denny's, Darden, or Texas Roadhouse. Of course, it's cheaper for a reason. All those companies have expected to have double-digit earnings growth next year. Next year. Well, uh, Bloomin's on track to have a slightly down year. Not good. In its latest quarter, Bloom Brands tech, uh, technically reported inline sales and decent earnings, but the bar was very low. Their total domestic same-store sales grew by just 0.8%, way down by 0.6% domestic growth at their largest brand, Outback Steakhouse Management Guidance, for the current quarter's million line, and their domestic same-store sales outlook came in weaker than expected. In response, the stock tumbled 7% over the next four days. Clearly, something is wrong here. Ask not for whom the onion blooms, it blooms for thee. So a smart activist firm like Starboard could potentially do a lot good here, especially when you remember that they know exactly how to turn a struggling restaurant chain around. They've been there, done that. At this point, we don't know what Starboard's plan is. We don't know if they're taking a hostile approach or if management is eager to work with them. 
Personally, I'd love to see another 300-page deck on why Bloomin's doing wrong like they did at Darden. Will they advocate for changes in Outback's signature Bloomin' Onion? Can the kookaburra wings be better? Is Caraba strong enough to spin out on its own? We just don't know what Starboard's plans are at this point. But I do believe they have a plan, and I'm confident it'll be better than whatever this company's doing right now. Now, it's worth noting that a couple of activists targeting Bloomin' without much success uh, back before the pandemic. But Starboard's got a huge reputation. I think they'll get more traction. The bottom line, while there are plenty of restaurant stocks that I already like, I don't think it's a bad idea to speculate on Bloomin' brands here. Now that the experts at Starboard Value are gearing up to turn things around, you don't bet against these guys when it comes to the restaurant business. I think it'll work. Landon in Texas. Landon! Jim Kramer, thank you so much for taking my call. I'm 22 years old, and my question is, is Chipotle currently in a good position to buy some shares? A concern that I have is that young people my age seem to be gravitating towards Cava, uh, free birds that are structured very similar. Right. Well, uh, uh, let me tell you, Bannon, this is the way I look at this. Chipotle is a, it's kind of a, it's what we call at law school, sui generis. There's nothing like it. It's not just another restaurant chain. It's the best restaurant chain. So I am not worried about Cava. I'm not worried about any competitors. This stock can stand on its own. Chipotle Mexican Grill, I said it was going to go to 2000, went to 2175. It's now back to 1866. And it is a. Bye, bye, bye. Okay, I wouldn't bet against Starboard Value when it comes to the restaurant business. So I don't think it's a bad idea to speculate on Bloomin' Brands here. Now it's Starboard Experts to get in. Hey, much more Mid Monday, including my exclusive post earnings that everyone's been waiting for interview with Palo Alto Networks. Last quarter, investors were fearful of Microsoft's entrance into the cybersecurity space, but is that fear still warranted after a strongly expected quarter from Palo Alto? We're going to check in with the CEO. Then, from putting younger people to work to cutting rates, there are a host of things investors should be watching out of President Xi in China. So do I think that the latest headlines out of the country should be of concern? I'll give you my take. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. with Palo Alto Networks, the best to read cybersecurity outlet. Now that its stock has soared 15% today in response to a great quarter on Friday, even though this is a big move, Palo Alto is basically back to where it was three weeks ago. When the stock collapsed, it flew learned they planned to report the results on a Friday night. Suspicious timing. Turns out there was nothing to worry about at all, but is it too late now to buy it? It's gone up a lot. Earlier today, we checked in with Nikesh Arora. He's the chairman and CEO of Palo Alto Networks. Take a look. First, Nikesh, it is great to see you, and I want to know whether you would ever report on a slow Friday afternoon again, given the fact that that became what people were talking about, rather than the fact that you continue to distance yourself from the rest of the industry. Well, nice to see you as well, Jim. Look, Jim, we were trying to do three things. One, we were were trying to make sure we get our earnings out there and give a full-year forecast, but you want to give it a longer-term context because there's lots of uncertainty in macro, also, we're seeing security companies a bit all over the place. So we want to make sure people see us as, as who we are, which is different. So we want to get that done. Two, uh, we have about 5,000 people in Vegas who are right now getting pumped up to go deliver a phenomenal FY24 like they have at FY23. We wanted to make sure we didn't have to stand there and hum and haw about what our results are likely to be. So honestly, it only worked out that we could do this on a Friday. Uh, so we did. 
Well, I think it's very important also that you surprised some people a few years ago and it's coming to fruition when you said, I'm going to do a platform. I'm going to buy this. I'm going to buy that. Everyone told you it wouldn't work, Dikesh. How did you know and persevere? Because it turns out to be the one and only in the space. Well, Jim, um, you know, if you don't know cybersecurity, you have to go spend some time thinking about it and look around. It is one of the most fragmented sectors in all of technology. And if you trace back, you know, you know, I know you talk a lot about, you know, Mark and Workday and others which have built phenomenal platforms of software industry. All those, all those industry segments did not have a platform to start with. So somebody decided that they needed to integrate all the capabilities and companies didn't have to go stitch these things together. So we have a very simplistic view. We don't think our customers should have to stitch 30 different solutions to deliver a security outcome. It's not going to be humanly possible. It's going to be competed at, against with bad actors using AI to come after you. So a platform becomes imperative if you want real-time solutions. And so we set about building one. And uh, we're very happy. We're green shoots. We think you know, we're some part of the way there. We have a lot more work to do, but uh, we can see there's a resonance between what our customers need and what we're able to deliver. And hopefully this allows us to distance us from other players in the space. Well, let's drill down on that because you want a $45 million industrial contract with one part of your platform. Then you want the $40 million retail contract with another part of your platform. So it's one in and then they look at it and they realize, wait a second, we can modernize. We can uh, spend the same amount of money, actually less money, and get better results. This is a highly unusual approach to your industry. Well, Jim, you know, if you ask every practitioner, the one thing they will tell you, whether it's a CEO or a CIO, I keep spending more money on cybersecurity. Am I getting more secure? And the fact of the matter is, if you look at the, the attacks out there, if you look at the amount of activity from bad actors, you could reach a conclusion, listen, I'm spending a lot of money and I'm not getting the bang for my buck. And part of what one has to do is try and figure out how to deliver those great security outcomes and try and make sure that you do that in sort of a cost-contained fashion. So part of our platform approach also allows you to consolidate spend across multiple vendors. And when you do that, you get a better security outcome. You possibly spend less or the same, and you spend less on resources because you're no longer maintaining 30 different things, which also requires a lot of human capital. Well, this is the first time, uh, even in, in August, a slow August, Clorox hit very badly. Freeport hit very badly. Estee Lauder hit for a seven cent, which does matter tremendously, particularly when you're doing as poorly as Estee Lauder. A miserable hack. These are what you say bad actors not waiting. Well, they don't go on holidays in August. They work on Fridays as well. So unfortunately, this is going to happen more and more. But when I look at it, I think that do companies realize that they're now having to report this to the, as per the SEC, you can't hide it anymore? You know, Jim, um, I wrote a blog post uh, about this because I'm very concerned. You know, the, the SEC rightfully so has said, you've got to report a breach in four days. But the truth of the matter is that the current time to fix a security event for large companies is between four to six days. So if you have a report in four days and your time to fix it four to six days, there's a bit of a gap there. You really don't want to be exposed telling the SEC that you have been breached, you haven't fixed it yet. So one of the things which all of us will have to make sure is that customers can fix these things much faster. And that's kind of what you saw. The enthusiasm behind our XIM platform is we did way better than we expected. We're seeing a lot more interest in that, which is both it's an AI-based platform. Also, it allows you to get this remediation down to hours from day. So I think we're going to see more of that. 
Okay, now, last time we spoke, people were very worried about a Microsoft entry uh, into the secure access service edge. We heard that, look out, if Microsoft wants in, they can quash anyone. Do you see them ever all? Do you see them at all? Do your salespeople see Microsoft at all? Well, Microsoft's a, a large player. They're extremely successful. Uh, they have a reasonably sized, well-sized security business. Uh, but, uh, again, SSE is a complex and a specialized field. We've been working at it for three to four years. We bring all of our security expertise to it. Uh, as you might have noticed, we just became the only single vendor leader in Gardner in the SASE quadrant. So a business we didn't play in three years ago has now nobody but us in the leadership quadrant. So, you know, we're working hard. Uh, I was told by somebody, don't look back at competition when they're chasing you. Look forward to the customer because if you look back, you might make the wrong choices in life. So we're going to keep looking forward, focusing on the customer and trying to solve their problem. And whoever's running behind us can run as fast as they can. Well, speaking of looking forward, again, in light of the fact that you had Friday music because people were so worried about Friday and short-term considerations, three-year stable forecast with expanding margins and sustained uh, good free cash flow margin. Why hold a gun to your head like that? Well, Jim, it's the conviction in the fact that if you look back, if, when, you know, when you and I will be talking three years from now, we'll look back to this Friday, which was uh, the topic du jour. What hopefully we hope to prove to everyone out there is that we are distancing ourselves from everybody in cybersecurity. We are now a different business. We're not just one sort of one swim lane player in cybersecurity. We are a company which is going to go deliver phenomenal security outcomes to our customers. It's that conviction. It's that, that product portfolio that we have that we believe that allows us to sort of be bold enough to say we can go deliver the top line. Additionally, you know, we've shown a 700 basis point improvement this quarter that we just announced. We've shown a 500 basis point improvement for the year. We're only forecasting 500 for the next year. So, you know, we know how to do this. Uh, it's a matter of getting our heads down, executing, executing well. And I think most importantly, keeping our customers, our employees front and center in this in this opportunity. Well, I, I know that it's great and it's great you have that conviction, but you spend a huge amount of time on your call talking about deferred payments, talking about how you can't just look at billings. You got to look at the you, you know, you, you got to look at the remaining profitable, remaining performance obligations. And it made me feel like, well, wait a second. I don't want to have a GDP risk if I buy the stock of Palo Alto. Now, were you just trying to say, listen, some guys were stretched, some guys were slowing down, and you had to use your balance sheet, which the other guys, by the way, you, all these startups don't have a balance sheet. Is this just something that you're very confident everyone's going to pay no matter what? So I think uh, it's very important to parse what you just said, Jim. You're right. The small guys are not going to have the balance sheet, so this does give us a bit of a leg up. I think more importantly, point I was trying to make in the message we're trying to convey is that the street looks at all these metrics called billings, et cetera. This is not a true indicator of a company's strength in the current environment. I think for 10 years, money was free. People paid you up front. You could run a TCV business. Now, a customer says, wait, you want me to pay you up front? There has to be some recompense for me because I'm paying you up front. There's a cost of money. And all we're saying is like, listen, guys, don't look at billings. It's a metric that can be misrepresented because of change in the cost of money. The real metric is RPO, and our, our RPO grows through 30%. It's been growing close to 30% for the last three years, and that's what I'm trying to say. Is, look, the underlying strength is there. Don't get head faked by this notion of reported billings because the same deal could be 3x or 1x depending on when the customer pays me. It's just it's an accounting metric now. All right, last question. When I, men- I mentioned Clorox, and I, I mentioned Freeport Amendment, Estee Lauder. Do you think those companies had cybersecurity? Were they just using a 
a homemade version where they just moving a, a version for on premises? Because now you're starting to get quarters that are being wrecked by cybersecurity. Well, Jim, uh, you and I have talked about this uh, on the show for a long time. People have a lot of cybersecurity. It's not like they lack cybersecurity vendors. They're not integrated. They don't work together. Some of them are still older legacy vendors. So you're kind of dealing with a very complicated mess of cybersecurity infrastructure. And my only recommendation to every CEO or CIO who's listening is, listen, you need to have a two, three-year roadmap to try and modernize all of that, put that in some sort of an AI stack so you can actually do this in more real time because the bad actors are moving faster. It used to take them you know, days to come in and sort of have dwell time and come and hack you. Today, they can get in and out in hours, and it's important for us to make sure we're ready to deflect the stuff in hours, not in days. And that requires sort of a modernization. Doesn't necessarily mean you have to spend more money. It just means you have to spend it smartly. All right, well, let's leave it there. Uh, congratulations on an amazing quarter. And certainly uh, those who felt that you weren't gonna deliver, once again, uh, I hope that uh, they invite me to their funeral. Well, Jim, I made for some very fun reading uh, before the weekend uh, came upon us. So, That's fun. the guest of Rory, the CEO of Palo Alto Networks. Thank you, Nikesh. Good to see you. Likewise, Jim. Thank you. Yeah, buddy's back in the break. Coming up, Kramer wants to hear from you. Your calls on the thunderous lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? That's over the lightning round. I'm going to with Bill in Massachusetts. Bill. Hey, Jim. I'm giving you that quad booyah today. I'm real happy. I love it. Thank you. Jimmy Chill says want, thank you. I want to thank you for NVIDIA, Palo Alto, Meta, and Eli Lilly. All killing it. We've and had some winners. All of them. I'm proud that we've had some winners. We've got some stinkers, but we have more winners. That's what matters. You're How can winner. I help? You're a winner on my book. Uh, I had a question on uh, applied materials about a month ago, six weeks ago. You talked about it, and I was wondering. I, I bought two right, shares it, on you know, Thursday. Bill, I reported a monster quarter, but it's not done going higher. I think that I think that Gary's doing a super job. We want to stay along that one. Let's go to Brandon in New Jersey. Brandon. Hey, Jim. Hi, Brandon. Um, so I was wondering what your thoughts were on TIXT, Telus International. Telus. Ooh, I think they're a loser. I mean, honest, honestly, they're just doing a terrible job. We do not need that. There's like 40 other guys in that same space that are better. Let's go to David in South Dakota. David. Hey, Jim. I yeah. have a question for you. Okay. I was wondering what you thought about the company Tudor Printing, ticker symbol TPC. I think those guys are, are just where you should be right now. I think they're going to come out of this thing. They've been in a funk. It's a small cap stock, and they're going to get good contracts. And I think you're going to do very well with all the federal money. That's a very cool and interesting call. Thank you. Hey, how about Grace in California? Grace. Hi, Mr. Kramer. I have a question about Google. Is it a good buy now? Yes, you can still buy it. They had a monster good quarter, and the stock hasn't really run. I'm going to I'm going to bless buying that stock. Now we're going to go to Dan Illinois. Dan. Hey, how's it going, Jimbo? Thanks for having me on your show. Um, I found a pretty little gem a few months back called Rocket Lab USA. No, 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 no. We like companies that make money. That company that said that's like sending money up in smoke in space. Let's go to Bill in North Carolina. Bill. 
Hey, Jim. First of all, thank you so much for all you do to help us. We really, really appreciate uh, it. Thank you, Bill. My pleasure. My and pleasure. My, and my, my stock is Neo Incorporation. Uh, no, no, we're not in- buying any Chinese stocks. I know that they're getting subsidized by the government. They're doing well. So is the, you know, look, there's like three of them that are doing well, but I'm not buying it. I mean, I, I bust Alibaba. That's about all I can possibly get by. I need to go to Nikki in Ohio. Nikki! Hello, Jim. Hi, Nikki. I, I really appreciate that you, that you took my phone call. Oh, terrific. What's up? Riv- I saw the Rivian rally to around 28 and then it retraced back down to about $20 a share. I want to know... Is Rivian dead? What's well, I got to tell you, I think Rivian comes on the show and we do a big sit-down. Because right now, 20 bucks, I can't say it's either here or there. But if I sat down with a company, I'm telling you, I'd get a better vibe. I need more vibes. Let's go to Jim in Florida. Jim. Jimmy Chill. A big Lachateau, Naples, Florida. Booyah to you. Well, there you go. I mean to get there. Any I want to thank okay. you for all your help throughout the years. My question is on a medical REIT that's currently down 37% year-to-date, has a yield of over 16%, and anyone that watches your show know to be, knows to be leery of these high yields. What do you think? What's stuck? MPW. Oh, medical properties. No, I'm, I'm nervous about that one. I don't know how it could possibly. This is one of those where if the yield is actually too high, and it makes me uncomfortable. I'm sorry. I wish I had a better read, but that, that yield's too high. I know the company. Something's wrong there. I, something's not right. Let's put that one. Go to Adam in Florida. Adam. Booyah, Jim. It's Adam in beautiful Miami Beach. Oh, jeez. You're so lucky. All right. What's hey, up, Jim? Jim, Jim, is it time to make a deposit of HBAN into your I like portfolio? it. Now, why would you in Miami Beach? Would you want, why would you want to go to Columbus, Ohio? I mean, are you kidding me? But the stock, HBAN, is a good stock, and I share your enthusiasm. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Kramer shares his strategy for keeping China in check. And it starts with keeping our friends close. Next. After years of being told that the Chinese government's run by geniuses with incredible foresight, the mainstream press is now taking a very different line. These days, the conventional wisdom says that China's run by a communist Herbert Hoover, who just doesn't get the need to take FDR-style action to prop up the employee economy. President Xi needs to spend a lot of money, put all the younger people to work building something that can't be dumped overseas, and ideally draw in foreign investment to boost employment. Right now, he's doing none of that. Their government's half-heartedly cutting interest rates by infinitesimal amounts, allowing huge parts of their economy to fall apart. The gigantic trust based on real estate, she's adopting a serves-your-right attitude toward anyone who is stupid enough to invest in them. Never mind that the Chinese Communist Party has promoted this excess savings for years. It doesn't seem to bother him that the collateral damage here will be immense. On COVID, she refused to embrace the best vaccines made by us and by Germany in favor of less effective homegrown shots. He foolishly allowed the lockdowns to go on forever, then threw in the towel and people couldn't take it anymore, causing everybody to get COVID anyway. He floats spy balloons while our country is supposed to be having good faith negotiations. In short, Xi's recent leadership has been nothing short of a disaster. But maybe, just maybe, he knows something? Maybe he's betting against reckless investors and foolish home builders hoping they fail? 
He sure seems to be doing everything in his power to make them fail. Maybe he wants to assert the Communist Party's control, roll back their post mal embrace of free enterprise. Or maybe it's the opposite. When you read the press releases from the regime, they sound indistinguishable from the Hoover administration. Let's remember, China's an authoritarian dictatorship with expansionist ambitions that no longer cares about creating an investor-friendly business environment. I think this is a great time to continue the tough on China policies of both Trump and Biden with one twist. Put a regiment of soldiers on Taiwan to ensure that the People's Republic can't invade. Make sure that Taiwan Semiconductor makes its highest end chips for us, not them. Stay in the South China Sea with a strong Navy presence and flood their economy with imports to meet their government's plan to have more consumer goods. Do what they did to us for 40 years. Make sure China's more dependent on us while urging them to expand their economy. At the same time, we need to join hands with, the China, with China's number one uh, adversary in the region, India, which has the added advantage of being a genuine democracy. We need the Chinese government to know they're all alone except for Russia, which doesn't have the ability to help anybody at the moment. Finally, let's go after China for coal, please. Sure, they're spending more money than anyone else in renewals, but China builds six times more new coal plants than any other countries on Earth combined. They're permitting two a week. Even if we convert all of our power plants to clean nuke energy and use only electric cars, it might not be enough to offset the climate impact of China's coal plants. So let's accept the fact that Xi, president for life, has no intention of being our friend and stop treating him with kid gloves, please. The Chinese economy is finally struggling. We'll never have a better opportunity to contain their global ambitions. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Made Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.